0: Word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit to come. We invite your Holy Spirit to come and speak to us, to open our hearts, our understanding. And Lord, I I know my topic is a particular way this morning, but you know the needs that are here. And so even before I preach, I pray, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, meet the needs of those who've come. Some have come this morning, and they're needing a word from you. Some have, uh, are needing a touch in their body, or they're needing financial provision. Some, Father, have come. They're needing to hear your voice. They're needing direction. Some need reconciliation. Some need hope. And, Lord, I'm not speaking on all those topics, but I, I know your Holy Spirit can meet them right where they're at. And I pray, Lord, as Father of your people, that you will meet those needs. And now, Father, we pray that you would take your word and you would open it to our hearts. Feed us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to grab just a quick drink of water here. You don't want a dry sermon. A store manager overheard a clerk saying to a customer, no ma'am, we haven't had any for some weeks now, and it doesn't look as if we'll be getting any soon. Alarmed by what was being said, the manager rushed over to the customer who was walking out of the door and said, it isn't true ma'am, of course we'll have some soon. In fact, we placed an order in for it a couple of weeks ago. And after she left, he he went over and he drew the young clerk aside and he growled at him. He said, never, never, never say we don't have something. If we don't have something, say it's ordered and it's on its way. Now what was it that she wanted? And the clerk smiled and said, rain, rain. A young engineer was leaving the office at 3.45 when he found the acting CEO standing in front of a shredder with a piece of paper in his hand. Listen, said the acting CEO, this is a very sensitive and important document, and my secretary is not here. Can you make this thing work? Certainly, said the young engineer. And He turned his machine on and he inserted the paper and he pressed the start button Excellent, excellent, said the acting CEO as the paper disappeared inside the machine. He said, I just need one copy. (laughs) Okay, I know they're sad, but (laughs) Uh, each of these jokes, they highlight the importance of communication in the workplace. How many know that, that a lot of things happen in the workplace that we would shake our heads at and say, Well, that happened at work. (laughs) The reality is, most of us spend the majority, a major portion of our lives working. Anybody understand that? (laughs) You know, even the Bible says, six days you shall work, and then one day you rest. And so, even even once you finish work, and you come home, there's mowing the grass, (laughs) there's doing dishes, there's cooking, there's all the house cleaning that has to happen, uh, you know, making beds and laundry and, and on and on and on. And, and then if you're a fella, there's the house maintenance and fixing things, uh, home repairs. And if you're a student, you're doing school work, And, and even when you're retired, you know, the work goes on. You're, you still have to get your lawn mowed and you still have to shovel your, your snow and, and you still have to do the work around home. And there might even be other things that you're involved in or you're involved uh, volunteering in. But since work is such a big part of our lives, don't you think that some of our preaching and teaching should help you with that? (laughs) I mean, really, six days of your week are focused on on giving your life to to, to make a living, uh, to, to support some industry or business. And so we should be preparing you for the context of work. And so how do you integrate your faith with your job? How do you integrate, how do you follow Christ in your nine to five? What does that look like? What about your chores at home? How do you integrate Christ and your Christian life into doing your work at home? And, and, and the reality is that takes up a major chunk of our lives. And, and so we have to look, understand what that is. And so, so to understand what that looks like, I want to look at three different topics. And so we're going to look at working to the glory, to God's glory this morning. We want to take a look at what, how do we do that? How do we work in such a way that we can bring glory to God? And so there's three topics I want us to look at. And the first one is God's purpose for man's work. Now let me ask you a question. When, did work, when is work first mentioned in the Bible? You know, it's, it's mentioned in Genesis. Was it before the fall or after the fall? Before the fall. it's right. Some people are under the mistaken idea that work is a curse and it's a result of the fall. <laughs> now that's not true. Sweat and toil are a result of the curse. But work was there before. I mean, no. You know, God gave man a job in the garden to cultivate it and to care for it. He gave him a purpose to name the animals. But I mean, work is mentioned before that. If you look in the Bible, you'll see this. You know, I I love what Tim Keller says. The fact that God put work in paradise is is startling to us because we often think of work as a necessary evil or even punishment. How many have ever felt that way about job? (laughs) There's a few jobs I've had that I understand that statement. (laughs) But if we take a look in, in, in... in earlier in Genesis, chapter two, it says, by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. (laughs) Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from his work which God had created and made. Now, there's three things we learn from this. First of all, God completed his work. I mean, it was nice to finish a job. He finished it, uh, this work of creation. The Bible says he's still working till now. Jesus said, my father and I have still worked till this day. There's other works that the father's doing. But when it came to creation, he finished it. Secondly, we know that he rested from his work. That's pretty powerful. We'll look at that a little bit later. And the third thing is, we know that his work was connected to creation. Because it says, his work which God had created and made. So all of creation is What? God's work. So when does work start in the Bible? Verse 1. <laughs> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts in verse 1. And so what we, we, we need to understand how how this is important for us. Because the first thing we learn is God is a worker. <laughs> One of the first attributes that we learn about God, obviously he's all powerful and we learn that he's creative and that he speaks and and worlds come about. Well, one of the first attributes we also learn about God is that he's a worker. And he demonstrated this through his ability to create everything. And I'll tell you, you look at creation and you go, man, he's pretty amazing. (laughs) Just look at the world around you and you go, man, look at what an amazing creator and worker that he is. Not only that... God delighted in what he made. Six times in Genesis 1, he'd create something and he'd say, and it was good. And then the seventh time after he creates Adam and Eve, and he goes, it was very good. Now, I can just see God, you know, looking back over creation going, all right, (laughs) that turned out pretty good. Now, how many of you have done that? You've done a job, it's all done, and you go, yeah. And that's what God did. God delighted in his work that he had done. And so as we look at this, we we see that God's a worker, his work is excellent, and he loves and delights in his work. Then we get to chapter 2, and we see even a more intimate picture of God. We see him planting a garden. God's a gardener. Anybody here enjoy gardening? (laughs) God was the first one. Not only that, he's a sculptor. He gets down in the mud and he shapes man out of the clay. He actually creates man with his hands. And so in chapter one, he's speaking worlds into existence in the power of his voice. Chapter two, we see he's down there getting his hands dirty. God's a worker. The second truth I want us to learn is this, that God created us to work. And I've already mentioned that. It's already been here. Uh, So we see this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. God bless them. <laughs> I want you to catch that, because we're going to refer to this a bit later. And said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, we don't have time to discuss what it means to be created in God's image. There's some really neat things we could look at. And it's just too big of a topic for us. But from this context there's one thing that we can tell. It says, God created man in his image, created he, and then he said, and let them rule. Over what? Over his creation. And let them subdue it. So what, what, is, what is part of being created in the image of God? Part of being created in the image of God is being created to carry on his work. To, to take what he has created and to continue to bring it into order, to rule over it, to, to steward it, to, to, to take the, all of the elements that he's hidden in creation, whether they're mineral or vegetable or whatever. Think of the amazing world that God has created, all the products that we can make today, because God knew from the beginning of time that if he put those into the earth, man would discover how to use them and to subdue the earth. And so he created. part of being created in the image of God is being a creator with a small c. He's a creator in a big c sense of the word. He's, he's a worker in the big w sense of the word. But we're small w's and small c's. We can't create out of, no, create out of nothing, but we can take what God has made And we can use it, make, refine it, and use it for useful purposes. And so God has created us in his image. And part of that is to work. His mandate is to steward the earth. And that stewardship is directly linked to being created in the image of God. God is a worker, and he gave man a job description. (laughs) Multiply, subdue the earth. I like what Timothy Keller says, he said, the word subdue indicates that though all all God had made was good, it was still to a great degree undeveloped. God left creation with untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their their labor. Wow. Hebrews says, what is man that you remember him, actually uh, Hebrews is quoting Psalms here, or the son of man that you are concerned about him. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. And so in many ways, we're vice regents for God. We're here to to be in his place, to bring order to the world in which we live. And this way, God has affirmed the dignity of humankind by giving them a role that oversees his creation. Now, God didn't intend for us to do that independently of him. He wants us to do that in relationship with him. He wants us to do that out of uh, and to see his purposes fulfilled for the well-being of mankind and for the well-being as we multiply and fill the earth. Uh, That's part of what his role is. And so we see for God, he puts man in in the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. That word keep can mean also guard, to protect it. And so man was there to develop, to take the, the potential that was in that garden and see it expand. Some of you are farmers, and you understand what that process is like. Then he also called man, I won't read the passage, but he called man, you know, how many know God could have named the animals? In and, the and first chapter, he creates light, and he calls the light day, and he names the night, night. And as he goes through, he names things. But now he says to man, that's part of his work, is naming things. Now he says to man, I want you to do this. You name the animals. I mean, scientists have been doing it ever since. You know, whatever taxonomy of animals and their species and genus and kind and all the things they've been, you know, and all these huge Latin words and Greek words and whatever. uh, They've been doing it ever since. But naming the animal, and it, it, it really it indicates that man understood the nature, because when you name something in a biblical sense, you're naming something after its nature. That's why names had meaning. And so for some reason, in, you know, whatever language Adam spoke, <laughs> a duck was a duck because it was a duck. There was something about it that looked like a duck, and that's a duck, <laughs> and that's a cat and that's a dog and, and, and that's a parrot and whatever and so man does that he's a steward not to exploit creation not to take advantage of it but to care for it now we know that all work is honorable it offers opportunity for us to fulfill God's purposes in this planet as we carry out our jobs let's move on to the third point the third point is this. God intended for us to balance work and rest. How many know God rested? He didn't create us to work seven days. Six days. Now, most of the time, it's five days at the job, and usually at home, you're do- doing the catch-up work to get things done at home, or in the evenings or whatever. But God created us to, 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 for rest. And so, even Exodus, based on the creation account, says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall not do any work. You are your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, going back to creation, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now I understand Christians have different perspectives on what this means and how it's applied and what day is correct in light of the New Testament and and the Lord's Day and all those types of things. But I think all Christians would understand that God intended us to have a break. He intended us to not work all the time. How many know that for pastors, often one of their busiest days is the day that everybody else rests? (laughs) So their day of rest has to be a different day. Some of you who are in emergency services, you may have to work on certain days of the week just so that the rest of society can be looked after. I understand that. But what we have to understand is that God still calls all of us to rest. There's a balance to life, and he wants us to learn what that balance is. And There's lots more I would like to say on this, but I'm going to skip through. Uh, the fourth thing that we learn is this. God intended for us to delight in our work and enjoy the rewards of our labor. How do we know that? Yeah. You know, when, when we bought our house here in 2000, uh, the fr- fence was in really rough shape. And I didn't have time in those early years to do it because I was doing other things around the house. And finally, it was getting pretty bad. In fact, um, uh, well, here, here's a little bit about Uh, Let me just share a passage, and then I'll get to that. I think I missed something in my notes. It says, here's what I've seen uh, to be good and fitting to eat, to drink and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. How many know you can enjoy the fruit of your labor? (laughs) Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. So it's a gift of God for you to be able to to enjoy some of the fruit of your labor. Now, we're not to lavish it all on ourselves, and we'll talk about that, and and I think sometimes we need to set a lifestyle standard, but it's good to have a meal because you paid for it. It's good to have clothes that you've worked for. It's good to to enjoy the fruit of your labor and live in a house, and so on. Well, part of that, uh, in fact, the Bible says this, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So don't, don't fix your hope on, unriches, on riches. This is the balance. But notice, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now, God doesn't begrudge us the enjoyment of the things that we have. That's not his purpose. So we, get, we delight in the, the, the outcome of jobs. We delight in also the um, fruit of some of that. The Bible says the hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of his crops. <laughs> Isn't that right, Mel? <laughs> you do all that work, you should, get, you should be able to receive the share of that. Now, somewhere along the line, okay, I must have done this twice in here. That's where I mixed something up on my PowerPoint. I'll have to remember that for the next service. Well, when we bought our house, the fence was in rough shape. In fact, uh, you know how Google goes around and drives? Uh, in 2009, you can kind of lightly see it on here. It says Google. (laughs) They took a picture of our fence in 2009, and it looked pretty bad. And I thought, I finally got to get to it. In fact, uh, finally, the fence that was rotting at the post, has started to fall over, and it's like, I got to get this thing changed. And so a couple years ago, I finally got to it. And so... Plus, I wanted to raise the elevation of my yard about a foot <laughs> at the back. So it was a lot of work. So I'm framing the fence. I'm digging stuff in because I want to put a planter in the corner. If you live on the end of a, a block and you have an alleyway there, you have to do an angle on your fence now. You can't go straight to the corner. And so I thought, OK, and you can't be over three feet if you do something straight to the corner. And I thought, OK, I'm raising the elevation of the yard. What will I do there? So in the end, I put in. A flower bed in the corner, uh, fit the, the rules that were supposed to be there and built my fence. And this is kind of a picture from a distance. And then I'm raising the level of my yard around the house still so it slopes away. And my son, we've hauled in all this, had the dump trucks come and haul in all this dirt. And we're having to haul it all in and wheelbarrow it around. And then laid sod in the backyard, uh, back where our apple tree is really heavy with trees there with apples and hadn't finished that other side yet but got around and it looked a whole lot better than the first fence in fact what I did is I poured concrete squares around the post and then I put concrete um, patio blocks in between so, so, so that when I mow I don't have to weedy both sides of the fence <laughs> I just put the wheel on there and I go <laughs> and it saved me hours <laughs> So, so I like it. Anyway, so, so here's the, the latest Google picture. And I go, that's a much nicer Google picture than the first Google picture. And so kind of a before and after on the Google picture. And I, I, I look back and I go, yeah. That was good. And in doing that, I reflect the character of God. Who did that. And enjoyed that. And then I built... It took me a while because of weather and different things. I finally built a gate and put the gate in. And I go, yeah, that was good. And finished the section between my neighbor and I. And I go, yeah, that was good. <laughs> and so when you do it, there's something in you that you're reflecting the character of God as you work and you produce and you look back on it and you say, yeah, I'm proud of that. That was good. Okay, so working to God's glory. So we've, we've, we've looked at uh, God's purpose and work. Now I want us to take a look at sin's impact on work. But this one I'm going to go through really quickly because I'm wanting to make sure we get through the message this morning. How many know that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin came into the world and it corrupted some things? And one of the first things it did is it, it, it impacted the attitudes and behavior of man? And one of the things, in terms of extremes, there are probably two extremes. I'll, actually, I'll go back to it there. there. In terms of extremes, in terms of our response to work, one extreme is sloth or laziness. How many of you know some of us, we have struggles at times, we don't want to do it, <laughs> we procrastinate. That's, that's something in my character that I have to overcome. And so, so the Bible warns us about that. And, and so rather, than, I don't want to be productive. Instead, you know, I want to win the lottery. I want people to do the job for me. I want it to be handed to me on a silver platter. And in the way our society is, it's moving toward that way. Just, I want to retire at 45, or I want to work, I want to work four hours a week. There's books out, the four-hour-a-week four week work week, and so on. And what you begin to see is people are just wanting more leisure and more leisure. I'm not saying it's wrong to have leisure. But God didn't intend us just to sit back. He created us for a purpose, for the well-being of society. In fact, Proverbs tells us, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. So that's one extreme. Paul says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly, a number of translations say idle or undisciplined life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Paul taught them how to work. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. And what does, how does he describe that? Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, because they were apostles. They could have eaten from some of that. But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, that he's not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined. There you go back to this idle life doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Now, what he's talking about, don't be a mooch. I mean, I understand there are times when people have physical inabilities and disabilities and so on, and they're unable to work. I understand that. I understand when jobs are scarce and you can't work. But I had a fellow in Moose Jaw, and he would get laid off every year because his job was seasonal. And I I said to him, Alan, volunteer somewhere. Don't just sit there getting unemployment and do nothing. It's not good for you. It's not good for your mind. It's not good for your habits. Contribute somewhere. Even if you're getting unemployment, go volunteer and do something worthwhile. (laughs) because God has created us to have a contribution somewhere. And so, so the, that whole side of things. Now the other side of it is workaholism and materialism. And so people sacrifice their families, they sacrifice their health, they sacrifice their morals and their ethics because they wanna get ahead and they compromise. And so they, they wanna climb the ladder. And that's the other extreme when it comes to work. And there are many other sins that have impacted uh, the way we work. So you have selfishness and self-sufficiency and pride and envy and abuse of power and anger and greed and dishonesty and distrust and on and on and on. Because of the fall of man and its impact on us, how many know that, that the world around us and the work world sometimes is corrupt, is dishonest? And sometimes you might be working for a boss who's corrupt, and that impacts the job, and, and so on. And there's a lot more I could say on that, but let's move ahead. Not, I, I love what C.S. Lewis said, in particular about pride. He says, now what I want you to get clear is this, that pride is essentially competitive, is, is, is competitive by its very nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. So pride gets into this whole thing, and, and I'm living at this standard and this is my house and this is what I have and, and, and I've got these things and this is how much vacation I have. And, and what happens is it often distorts people's perspective on their job and how they're to work. And even Christians can struggle with many of these different things. And so you have to be careful. What are the sins in my heart? What is the underneath motive behind my work? And allow God to search you and deal with that. Not only did uh, sin corrupt man and affect man's attitude and behavior. how many know it affected work itself? And so there's resistance to fruitfulness. Weeds come up and thorns and thistles, and now I've got to work around that. And also, there's the futility of things. Sometimes, you know, if you don't live for a higher purpose, then what purpose is work? It's all going to burn, right? And so, so that's why the writer of Ecclesia, or Genesis, talks about, oh, this is the curse that was put on men. I'll greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and as you bring forth children, your desire will be for your husband. There's conflict in the relationship there. We don't have time to look at that. Then he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, it says, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Isn't that interesting? In Genesis 1, God blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, multiply and work in the earth. Now, in Genesis 2, the curse is directly related to those two things. Pain in childbirth and resistance in creation. And so we have weather issues that we're dealing with. And tornadoes and earthquakes, and they destroy what we've made. And we have to rebuild it all. And and so all of that's part of the plan that, that comes out of it. And so there's the thorns and the thistles and the sweat of our brow and so on. And so Ecclesiastes, the writer, can write, so I hated life for the work which has been done under the sun was grievous to me. If all you're doing is working under the sun, it's futile. All is vanity, all is vanity, unless there's a higher purpose. And so what is your higher purpose? And that's what's going to bring us to this next, I love what Tim uh, Keller says. In short, even if your work is not fruitless, it is ultimately pointless if life under the sun is all there is. Because what good is it if you buy something, you produce something, 10 years down the road, it's gone or rusted. 20 years down the road, it's crumbling more. A generation down the road, it may not be there. Two generations down the road, you might not be remembered, right? Unless you have a higher purpose. And that's where Christ comes in. Because the Bible tells us, therefore my beloved, be steadfast, movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now, this might apply directly to ministry, but I, I believe it applies beyond ministry. If we do our work as unto the Lord, God recognizes that, and we're going to look at that. That's what brings us to the third point that I want to talk about as we wrap up. We've looked at God's purpose for work, We've looked at sin's impact on work. And now, what I want us to look at is really Christ's redemption of our work. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us for Christ to have redeemed our work? And so, as we kind of wrap this to a close, how do I live my life in such a way that I integrate my faith into my job? How do I live in such a way that I can bring glory to God? with my nine to five, the six days a week that I do. And the first one is, we work for the glory of God. It's a pretty basic point here. Colossians tells us this. Now here it uses the word slaves, not employees. But you have to understand that slavery in Bible times was different than slavery today, and I'll, I'll have a quote for that later on. But it says, Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Then it goes on to say, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. When you do your work, whatever it is, It's not your boss you're working for. It's him. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. This is talking about eternal life. And we know God is a rewarder? Now obviously eternal life is a gift but God does reward those based on their faithfulness. To whom much is given, much is required. If we just bury our talents it's going to be given to someone else. And so it says, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So even if it's being a slave, and this is what Timothy Keller says, slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not the same as the New World institution that developed in the wake of the African slave trade. Slavery in Paul's time was not race-based, and it was seldom lifelong It was more like what we would call indentured servitude, and that was true. There were sometimes people who had to pay a debt, and they would sell themselves into slavery to pay the debt. They would say, okay, I'll work for you for this much time, and that'll cover my debt to you, and so on. So there were different types of slavery back then, and some of them would be very much like some of our employment, (laughs) almost. But Paul says this again, Slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves, doing the will of God from the heart. Serve him from your heart. With good good, uh, will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether slave or free. So now he's not just talking to slaves. He's just saying, whatever good you do it, do it to God, and you're going to receive back from God. Your biggest pay isn't your paycheck. Your biggest pay is yet to come. The faithfulness, the reward for faithfulness, as you do that to God, that actually becomes an act of worship. Masters who... Or bosses, they need to watch how they treat their employees because they're going to give an account to a higher master as well. Whether you eat or drink, even, do it to the glory of God. In other words, all of your life, not just your work, has to be done to God's glory. Timothy Keller, your daily work is ultimately an act of worship to the God who called and equipped you to do it, no matter what kind of work it is. So if you can go to work with the attitude of God, it's not about just the paycheck. It's not about the grind and the grunt, and I'm bored with this. But God, I'm offering my act of work as a service to you. I want to do this. Someone once said, a Christian shoemaker uh, isn't demonstrated by putting crosses on his shoes. He's demonstrated by making a good shoe. You know? And so go and do a good job and, and, and let people see that and model that. And, and live and do that as unto the Lord. So work for the glory of God. Secondly, work for the benefit of others. How many know that this is closely connected <laughs> to serving God? And as we... Um, let me just say this. I believe that God isn't... How many know that there's no animals that get into producing for the rest of everybody you know i mean there are animal, birds build their nests and 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 so on but what horse ever started cutting hay and packaging it up and selling it to other horses and then some other horse says okay i'll make a barn and and i'll make blankets you see the purpose you know look at what you're wearing If you had to go and grow or find the animals or spin the thread or do all that it was to make one garment of clothes for you, how long would that take? A long time. If you had to grow all your food and raise your cattle and import all your fruit from other parts of the world and do. Do you know what? It's as society uses their gifts and works together as for the benefit of everyone else. If you had to be your own doctor, your own carpenter, your own mechanic, your own accountant, think of the knowledge you'd have to have. See, God intended to train you and equip you and use your gifts for the well-being of others. Um, let me just share a few other thoughts on this, then I want to move down. Um, You know, Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. And and it is true that that applies, I think, to acts of kindness toward our fellow man, personal acts of kindness. It also applies to humanitarian things. But don't you think, uh, even in that, can't we broaden the application a little bit? Aren't you grateful for people who clothe you? You know, the clothing industry, textiles, and and tailoring, and retail. What about the medical field that nurses you when you're sick? And the nurses, and doctors, and dentists, and pharmacists, and optometrists who, who, I have an optometry appointment tomorrow, and I'm so glad someone else, if I had to learn that, what would that mean for me? If everyone had to do that, how many people would be able to see, (laughs) you know? What about the food industry? the farmers and the grocery stores and the restaurants and I'll bet you're happy there's, there's gonna be a meal after the service today and you didn't have to fix it and, and we could go on and take a look at, at uh, so on but all of that is to say this when you are in one of those industries you're serving the needs of someone else when you're building a home you're serving the needs for shelter and you're doing it for the well-being of others. It's not just about your paycheck. When you're fixing a broken car or towing someone or, or whatever. Now, aren't you glad we have law enforcement? You know, that keeps us safe. All of this, this is all, God designed all of this. He created everything so that we could draw from that and we could serve one another. You know, Joseph in his position, he saved a nation by being wise in how to administrate food people who are in government they serve us so all i'm saying is look at your job for a bigger purpose there, there was i think i skipped that sometimes i go pretty fast <laughs> let's go on to the next point we work to image god in the world you know every time you do something to use your gifts and your talents That's an image of God. When you create something, you're imaging God. Why do I do that? Why do I do a good job? Because I want to be like my Father in heaven. And we talk about being holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And we we talk about loving as he loved. And God delights in truth, so we should delight in truth. And God's faithful, so we should be faithful. And God's merciful, so we should be merciful. And so all those are ways that we reflect God but we also reflect God when we work and when we create and we imitate him how many know that no animal has ever used intelligence to create some new product that their instinct didn't already design them to make but man does it all the time man I can use this because someone created all the stuff to do it. Think of what the complication of a remote and a projector and an image. And yet we use it all the time because of the blessing of God. Okay. By using your talents and your gifts and so on. We, we work to provide for our own needs. Timothy says this. But if ever anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, we need to provide our own. Now that doesn't mean there aren't times when we need some, some charity. But if we're well-bodied and able, God intends for us to provide for our own needs. Thessalonians says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to, to attend to your business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. When we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, how do we know Bread doesn't just end up on the table. Someone grew that wheat. Someone ground that wheat. Someone baked it into bread. Now, in the farm days, you used to do it all yourself. Nowadays, you go get a job, and you go to the grocer, and you happily say, here's my... Whatever it is now, it used to, I remember when bread was 30-some cents a loaf. Now it's, what, three bucks or two bucks? Here's my three bucks. I'll gladly pay this to you because I want that piece of bread. Thank you for your work. And we exchange. And, and, and I've provided for my needs. We work to be able to give. And this is my final point, point. we're going to wrap up. He who steals must steal no longer. But let him work with but he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need you know God doesn't just intend for you to work for yourself I think I think there are people who have more than they need and God intends for us to share with others in need there are some people who are unfortunate and maybe they've tried to work, or maybe health prevents them, or, or there's uh, charities that we can give to, or the work of the church needs to be done, and it's the support of people who support the work of the church, or it's a mission organization, or Living Faith Bible College. People support us so we can do our job. But when you work, and God blesses you, part of what takes away the idolatry of your heart of possessions and things is to be able to say, I'm going to give. How many know it's all God's anyway? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so, God, if I'm a steward of what's yours, what do you want me to do with it? It's not just 10%. You know, I surrender 10%. (laughs) (laughs) You know? It's all of it. And I I give it to him. And And so he says hey, you're my steward, I want you to use that money this way this time. Now, obviously, we have to pay our bills and meet our own needs, and those things are important. But we also need to give and share. Now, I hope that I've been able to encourage you. This is not a typical Sunday morning sermon topic. (laughs) But my thought is, you know, we spend so much of our life in the workplace. We need some handles. We need a picture. What does that look like? And I want to tell you, when you go to work tomorrow, be an image bearer for Christ. (laughs) When you go to work tomorrow, serve. When you serve someone, see Christ in that person that you serve. Do it as unto the Lord. Amen? Let's stand and let's close in prayer. We'll invite the worship team back uh, to come as we wrap things up. And I'm not going to do an altar call or anything this morning, but if for some reason you would like prayer, maybe it's job-related or health-related, or something, I'm happy to stay here and pray with you. Because uh, some people are facing challenges in this very area, and so we want to be sure and stand with them and pray with them. But I would like to pray for you as we close and as the worship team plays for us as we dismiss this morning. And here's what I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing body of people. They are your image bearers. They are your hands. They are your force in this world. And Lord, by, when they go to the job, I pray you'll help them to see above the nine to five. I pray that you'll help them to see above the paycheck. I pray, Lord, that you'll help them to see that by their very work, they can bring glory to you. They can worship you as they do it unto you. And Father, I pray that you'll help them to see that there's people that they touch through that job. And Father, some of those people may need a word of encouragement. Some of those people may need a prayer. Some of those people, they may have the opportunity to share the gospel with. But even if they don't, you know, as, as Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. <laughs> God, they can preach the gospel by doing their work as a service to you. And so God, I pray for this body of believers that as they go throughout the city of Red Deer and outside of the city of Red Deer, that they will bring glory to you and you will look down and say, well done, good job. When you did that, I saw that. Good job, very good. And you'll be pleased at their work. And they can enjoy the fruit of that. They can share it with others. And God, I pray you give them a purpose for their job higher than just pushing a button. (laughs) That they would see that their work is done unto you and they're extending your kingdom and your purposes in the earth. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, have a wonderful day.